Hi, everybody. My guest today is Camila. She seriously considered joining the military after high school, and her Colombian parents were really enthusiastic about the idea. But when Camila changed her mind, her family at first couldn't understand or accept her decision. Let's get into it. I am Camila. I am from Colombia, from Bogota. I moved here when I was 12 years old. I call mom, ma, and I call dad, pa. Back in Colombia, I used to study in a bilingual school kind of thing. So I kind of had like a little basis on English. Academically, I'm doing, like, I've been doing well my whole life just because I'm trying to actually make it to study what I want. Like, I've always known what I want to do since I was probably eight. <laughs> I want to study uh, neuroengineering. Back in my senior year, I hadn't applied to any uh, universities, scholarships. I felt like I was a little bit behind. So the opportunity of going to the airport, it shows up. My engineering teacher, he is uh, an Air Force veteran. He was there for uh, 14 years. And he kind of showed me how, like, the experience that he lived. Honestly, it was so convincing. I got convinced because they really have great benefits. They actually do have great benefits. Paid education. Also, the citizenship was also put, pushing me a bit onto that because I wanted to be a citizen to actually um, get my debt as a resident as well. The fact that I was going to be traveling, that was compensating as well. And I talked to my parents. Um, they were really happy about it. A few days after, we went to the uh, recruiter's office. I was kind of like going in there already. But I took a trip back to my home country, back in Colombia. I was there for probably a month right after graduation. I actually took that time as a reflection time, I would say. When I came back, I was already doubting if that's what I really wanted. I mean, I could not enlist immediately because um, I had to, my, uh, to wait for my braces to be taken off. As soon as I got back from Colombia, I started working and I started taking an EMT course, a paramedics course, with the idea that, that I was actually going in the Air Force because that was going to guarantee kind of like a medical job for me. The more that I saw how my life was going, and it was the more that I was convinced that I did not, the Air Force was not the type of life that I wanted to be. First of all, my family. I am a family person. I love my family and I cannot be apart from them. If I would like to travel, I feel like I could do it some other time on vacations or something like that, but not as a living. That also was a reason number two, actually. It's a bit uncertain how you're going to be living and and the fact that you can be moving from place to place to place it's just not not my thing. Another reason I would say is because um with them I would be studying my career what I want to study but I feel I can achieve more than that being outside than being inside with a higher salary in a better place in a better situation. My parents were, they were really uh, supportive the whole time. They took me to the exams. They took me to everything. So the moment that I was going to tell them, it was a bit hard. I kept like placing the date that I was going to talk to them for weeks, <laughs> not for weeks, but for days. To my dad, I had to talk over the phone. He's still, he's living in Dallas. 
with my mom, it was kind of a face-to-face kind of thing. It was a bit harsh. Um, in their mindset, they keep saying that I'm, I'm losing a big opportunity. They still think that they think it's not because of my own decisions, but for what surrounds me. So let's say work, friends. Um, they even tried to settle an appointment with a recruiter without my knowledge. In a hypothetical case that uh, if I was talking with my parents over the phone, I would probably tell them to um, understand me that I'm actually going through a process. And I'm just 19 and I'm still growing. I'm still trying to like get into the adulthood live uh, like way of living because I have my things to do. I have to study and I still have to work to achieve what I want. But with their pressure, it's just too much. I just can't if they're not supporting what I'm doing right now. Hi, everybody. I'm Julie Calantigua, the creator and executive producer of How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything. And I'd like to invite you to be a guest on the show. Every episode, we talk to black and brown folks striving to do big things and looking for ways to level up. Licensed psychotherapist Devon Lewis offers feedback about aspirational challenges we all face. Things like imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and especially how we define success. We'd love to hear about your triumphs and where you still trip up sometimes. Send our producer, Virginia, an email so she can get your story on the show. She's at virginia at lwcstudios.com. From KBBS and PRX, Port of Entry is back. This season features cross-border stories about artists and musicians turning pain into superpowers. A kid caught smuggling drugs through the U.S.-Mexico border becomes an artist and designer. Carlos Santana's best friend, musician Javier Batiz, turns down mega fame for family and community. Port of Entry, a narrative documentary podcast, offers cross-border stories that connect us all. Visit portofentrypod.org or listen on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? I'm Steve Ott Lewis, a licensed psychotherapist and host of How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything. I'm excited to share big news. How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything is back. This time, I'll be joined by a very special person, someone whose name you know very well. Hi, everybody. I'm Juleka Lantigua, founder of LWC Studios. Welcome, Juleka. I'm so excited. And by the way, I'll be taking notes. So many notes. As always, on the show, we get to hear stories from black and brown folks who are out there doing great and amazing things. Then I do my thing of offering some feedback and strategies to help us navigate personal and professional challenges. Together, we'll figure out how to achieve on our own terms. Subscribe to or follow How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything everywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow the show at Talk to Achievers. Man, those conversations with Camila and her family could not have been easy. I mean, she's trying to figure out what's best for her. She's trying to get their buy-in. There's pressure, there's expectations, there's anxiety. So much to navigate in high school. But I'm sure, as many of us know, when it comes to college and career plans, First gens want to involve our parents and we want to bring them along in our decision-making process, but it's not always easy. Ultimately, we just want them to support what we believe is right for ourselves. So how can we do that? How can we keep them in the know, allow them to feel like they're participating, 
how can we get them to support what we know is the right path for us? You know, I called in an expert for this one. Definitely. My name is Yasmin Navarro. I am a college advisor at a school in the Bay Area. We're really diverse. We have approximately 3,200 students and we've got tons of programs. We have a multi-language program for students that are new to the United States. We have an IB program and we have smaller schools that we divide our 3,200 students into so that they feel um, a little bit more held um, by our, you know, large staff as well. Did anything stand out to you as you listened to Camila's story? Yeah, tons of things stood out to me, honestly. Um, the language she uses to describe being convinced um, to join um, armed forces, the feelings of, I'm not sure, I don't want to put words to her experience, but there were feelings of almost maybe like rejection or like being like not heard uh, by her family, feeling behind in the whole college process at senior year. So all these things stood out while listening. So is this the type of, you know, conversation you have with students that you counsel? Yes, uh, often. Um, the amount of emails that I get from students at the beginning of senior year saying, I think I'm really behind. I haven't started yet. Um, I don't know what I'm doing or I'm a first generation college student. Am I behind? Am I too late? Um, and just telling students you are not too late. That it's no, you're never behind. Everybody's on their own path. We will all have the opportunity to kind of find our way. Um, and you don't need to have the same path that other people have. Like it's okay to take some time and kind of understand what it is that you want. Do you find that there's a difference between first gen students versus other generational students in what they perceive as their readiness or even what they perceive as their likelihood of going and getting into college? Yes, that is definitely something that I notice within my students and particularly our first gen students. I think they perceive or they feel as if they're missing something, even if they've had um, the same curriculum as other students. You know, students speak and they talk to each other and they kind of identify that some students have college advisors outside of school. And some students can afford um, resources that are not necessarily available to everyone. Right now, my caseload, I'm one college advisor for 400 students. Whoa. And so, How do you manage that? A lot of it is just making sure that I've, I've got my students who I identify as students who are first gen. I'm kind of building these supports or these systems because as a first gen student myself, I didn't feel supported by my college counselor in, college, in high school. How... How Well, first of all, when did you figure out that you were not being properly supported? And then how did you go about remedying that? So it was around probably sophomore or junior year in high school where I was in a gifted and talented program um, in Houston, Texas, where I would get bused to my school. Uh, it was known as a magnet school. So I remember going to my college counselor and knocking on her door and saying, hey, like I'm thinking about applying to the school called Amherst. And I'm thinking about applying to these other schools. And I just remember my college counselor not even looking up from her paper and just saying, ah, yeah, I don't know if that's a school for you. Whoa. And I, I was crushed. And I was also, I was crushed. And I was like, you know what? You don't know me. You literally do not even know who I am. I've never met you. And I decided, well, I'm going to try it. And so I applied. I also supported several of my friends through the college process, you know, edited their essays. And then I started this whole like advising process when I was in um, a teacher. And at some point I was feeling so burnt out in teaching and said, wait, what are the common threads? 
it's always back to college advising and how excited and passionate I am about supporting students and finding whatever choice they want. It's not about what like what I think is best for them, but supporting them and finding different options and knowing how many options are available. There's dozens of them. Okay, but, 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 but I need to know. Did you get into Amherst? I did. Yes! It was my first choice. <laughs> oh my God. I love the story so much. Um, I have a very similar story and I would try and tell it in 30 seconds, which is that I had an older cousin who I went to high school with and she was a star. She was in honors class like me. You know, she was one year ahead. She got into Wellesley. Mm. And I was like, well, if Mabel can go to Wellesley, I can go to Wellesley. And I applied, got into Wellesley. And then my college advisor said, I don't know if you can hack it at Wellesley. And I never went Oh, Juleka. I know. Oh, it's I know. heartbreaking. One person. One person. But I ended up at exactly the right school for me. And I'm really glad. But I still carry that with me. Yeah. Right? That I led someone who had no say in the admissions process after the college had admitted me derail me. You know, and so um, thank you for sharing that story because I think people need to hear this. They need to understand that you cannot let someone else determine what is possible for you. You are the only one who can determine that. All right. Let's go back to Camila's story because there's a bunch of stuff in, in Camila's story that really interests me. One of the themes that emerged for me was this notion that our immigrant parents want financial security above all for their kids, right? It comes up all the time. And so one of the things that the parents thought, you know, an Air Force career would provide for her would be financial and career security. And so can you talk to me a little bit about at the intersection of sort of like first gens, immigrant parents, and the probability and possibility of college, what is the pressure that students are under from parents and how do you help them navigate that? It's like an instant pot. It is intense. <laughs> Please say more. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever had an Instapot. And if you're not very uh, familiar on using them, they can just blow up and you end up with potato on the ceiling. Our students are under so much pressure to not just be true to themselves, but also to support their family. And to whether that's financial support, whether it's stability and being present in order to support with other family members. Our students are just under so much pressure and trying to find a balance of being able to kind of work with them to express what it is that they want or even find what it is that they want. It's like a lot of searching, a lot of reflection. I sometimes have students telling me like, my parents want me to do this. And I ask, what do you want to do? And they say, I actually don't know yet. So what do you, you know, when students come to you and they're feeling all this pressure from parents, what do you advise them to say to their parents to help explain what is actually happening in the college application process and in the college selection process? Yeah, that's a great question. So sometimes what we do is the first thing we do is with our juniors, we start them with um, meetings for juniors and then meetings for parents to kind of manage expectations of like, this is what's happening at this timeline. We tell parents like, hey, this is really a process for them and to kind of understand that it is a self-discovery and understand that it's going to take a while. So sometimes it's about finding like, oh, I actually don't like living in a city or I think I feel more comfortable living in a rural area or I actually don't know, but I do know that I want schools that provide good financial aid or I'll need some merit scholarships or I'm going to need this or based on my family's financial um, situation. So we actually advise that parents and students sit down and really talk about 
what are the things that they want for each other or what they want for um, this process. So that's really the first space. Like a student can say like, I want to leave the state. And that's usually when you start to hear like, well, actually we want you to stay home or we want you to stay in the state or we want you to um, consider going to community college first because of finances. And there's the amount of parents or the amount of students that come to me and say, my parents won't tell me anything about our finances. Oof. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Please, let's talk about it. And it can be a hard conversation because sometimes there's a lot of, you know, there's like a lot of shame or a lot of sort of protectiveness over that information. That financial point is pivotal. And in many instances, it completely derails some students because parents simply will not share that information. Um, So I I really, really want to emphasize how important it is that parents disclose that information in a way that can be helpful and that doesn't hamper the students. So I want to ask you about another really important thing that came up in Camila's story, which is that initially joining the Air Force seemed to her like a clear pathway to citizenship. And for the average college applicant, that's not an issue. They were probably born in the United States. But more and more, it is an issue. So when you come across this, if you've come across it, how do you advise students if they're thinking, well, I could get my education and I could get my citizenship? How do you get them to really think through the decision? I think the way that Camila did it was just absolutely beautifully taking that time to reflect. I don't, um, something that struck me that connects to this is how um, when she had the opportunity to take time away, And I think she mentioned, like, I was ready. I was already ready to enlist right then and there, but they, and they were ready to take me, but I had to take my braces off. Um, That just reminds me of like that time pressure, that time crunch that feels like this is an opportunity that you have to take right now, or it's not going to happen. I, I can, if I can share a little bit about my personal background, I have an older brother who came to the United States when he was about 11 or 12 years old. Um, And he, while in high school, joined ROTC. And at the age of 17, he told my mom that he was going to be joining the Marines. He said, Mom, if you don't let me go at the age of 17 and sign the papers, I'm going to go at 18 and I'm never coming back. Wow. Yeah. And uh, she signed the papers and uh, he was undocumented at the time uh, and spent 20 years in the military. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, that's a career. That's a military career. He built out a career. (laughs) But there was that pressure and that recruiting and that ROTC that's in, you know, most schools. Um, And that is where I would advise students to just really say, you can join the military now. You can join the military in five years. You can join the military in 10 years. Take your time, really process this because you're, these are the risks and the benefits that you're getting from it. Give yourself some time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. My final question to you is for first gen students listening and for their parents um, to ease the pressure and the fear that, oh, we're behind. What can people start doing sophomore year, junior year as they're thinking about getting their student ready for college? I think the first thing to do is understand the graduation requirements that are within your state. So, for example, there could be a graduation requirement for the school that you're in, and there could still be state requirements to go to state school. So that would be my one thing. And start with your summers, like identifying one or two things that you want to do outside of home to kind of cultivate 
who you are as a person and what brings you passion. So what are the things that you want to study? What are the things that bring you joy that like you enjoy learning about to then kind of start identifying whether there are careers that you could pursue in those fields. Um, I also think that for our students, uh, for first gen students, um, there's a lot of like, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be this. Yep. We want that label. Yeah. When there's just so many careers out there, there's just like so much out there and you don't have to be pigeonholed or put in a box or like identify like you have to be a lawyer. I remember mommy would tell me you got to be a doctor and dad would say you got to be a lawyer. And I'll be like, you know what? I don't want to be either of those things. And honestly, I sometimes feel like it's because who our community tends to be in touch with. Like we know of lawyers, we know of doctors, we know of teachers and counselors. And yeah, so I think those would be my my top things. Just kind of widen the scope of what the world looks like for you, uh, whether it's like picking up graphic novels and starting to look at who really designs all these graphic novels or what goes into making them. Um it's okay to have a summer job and it's okay if those summer jobs end up kind of providing you connections to people that say like, oh, hey, you'd be really good at this or you'd be really great at that. Uh, and then it's okay if you're like, you know what? I really hated that. That was terrible. And that's just <laughs> something that you can say, you know what? That goes in the no pile. But then you could write about those experiences in your college essay. Yes. Right? Uh, the summer I spent up cleaning dung. <laughs> All right. I think that that's, there's really no better way to end. Yasmin, you're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on. All right. Here's what we learned from Yasmin today. Discuss your wants and needs. To help manage your parents' expectations, start a conversation with them about what's important to you in your college search and what you want from your college experience. Explore many career options. Take a summer job. Sign up to volunteer. These small steps can help you experience the many career possibilities beyond traditional professions. And remember, take your time when deciding what you want professionally or otherwise. Don't let anyone else rush or derail you. You're on your own path and on your own timeline. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing us. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of LWC Studios. Virginia Lora is the show's producer. Kojin Tashiro is our mixer. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor. I'm the creator, Juleka Lantigua. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Talk to Mommy Papi. Please follow us and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, Spotify, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Bye, everybody. Same place next week. <laughs>